out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the director, performance maker, choreographer, the one and only Wendy Houston, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff, has had four decades, I know, doing the maths there, um, performing and doing various bits and pieces, which you'll find out in this interview. I will give you a link to her website in the notes below. I know she's got some work coming out and uh, a performance happening very soon. So after several minutes of interest and but casual chat, we get down to the exciting subject that was the early formative years. Wendy, it's over to you. Uh, I mean, it's a bit, it's interesting actually, because I can't, um, I mean, I sort of spent my teenage years in Canterbury, um, which had quite a strong music scene, actually. You know, it had sort of, um, you know, caravan, uh, you know, sort of bands that probably not many people have heard of, but it had yes. quite a strong. So, you know, that we used to go see bands a lot. So, I mean, I remember seeing Fairport Convention very early. Um, yes, because it was the Canterbury wind. scene, wasn't it? People like yeah. Robert, Robert Wyatt, Soft Machine. That's right, yeah. All those kind um, of rather pastoral. Um, oh, Hatfield and the North, pastoral pop with a bit of a prog rock gone. quality to them, <laughs> gone. But you saw Hawkwind, did you? Uh, in in Folkestone, yeah. I mean, you used to go up to the university quite a lot and see stuff. I mean, although, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I was at a dancing school in Canterbury and a kind of, I, I mean, I did pantos every Christmas and um, sort of summer fates, you know, so we were that sort of... Um, I still feel a little bit like I'm in that world, <laughs> you know, I'm sort of still, that's, you know, my, yeah, I mean, I did pantos when I was a kid, you know, we'd sort of do Christmas pantos and um, so, yeah, there was, I, I sort of probably, I had this mixture of liking bands and sort of music, I have to say, and then going and doing dancing every day, which yes. is sort of a bit of an odd combination in a way. Um, yes, but then I guess, you yeah. know, as I mentioned, dear old David Bowie, he did get very excited with the work yeah. of Lin Lindsay Kemp and yeah. mime artists. And um, yes, during that period. And were your parents at all, were they kind of, did they give you any kind of direction or influence no, at all? Um, I mean, my mum liked stuff, but I mean, there weren't, neither of them were. My dad was a teacher. My mum, I mean, she appreciated stuff and sort of loved watching things, but she was, you know, she did cleaning, she worked in a factory, she did sort of various jobs, really. Um, yes. So, yeah, neither of them were kind of, um, it was just something I started quite early. I think they thought it might help me early, I don't know, in some way. And then I just carried on. And it was sort of something that kind of always continued despite, you know, I mean, I was a bit of an off-the-rails teenager, um, but the sort of dancing managed to sort of stabilise me somehow. So it's sort of, I think it, you know. An interesting discipline. And did you go to those sort of classes like, I don't know, everyone loves ballet, don't they? And to be mm -hmm. honest, I through through a certain decade, went through a whole thing of ballroom dance. And then I got into historic dance and became oh, kind no. of fascinated with the world of, mm -hmm. yes, just looking only on a very, you know, like happy yeah. level. I mean, I didn't get too neurotic, but I did, I did sort of go for that moment of, um, yeah, ballroom dancing. I sort of became fascinated with the kind of trying to, and you mentioned, I don't know if you did mention discipline, but it, what well, I think I mentioned discipline, yeah. you just had to, you had to work really hard to learn these things. Yeah. And it was a bit of a space outside of 
any other space. You know, it certainly wasn't the same social group. So, you know, it sort of had a parallel world to me. I mean, the college I went to, which was in Marylebone Lane, and it was a sort of weird combination of things. So we did do ballroom um, once a week. And I've got quite a strong memory of going down to Peggy Spencer's studio in Penge. I think it was in Penge, the sort of mad... um, uh, yeah, so, you know, the the training that I did at college was sort of quite a com- – it was really to teach in, like, a studio, actually. So you did this very – you know, you did a combination of tap, historical dance, <laughs> jazz, ballet. Yes. National like- dance. You know, quite an array of things, and then trained to teach in a school, state school. So, you know, it was quite a sort of odd route, really, I'd have to say. <laughs> it's not, not very <laughs> typical. Yes. So, so when you got to 16, did you leave school at that stage or did you go on to do? Yeah. No, I left school at 16 and I trained. I mean, it's astonishing now, I think. I trained to teach and I was teaching in a state school in East Ham when I was 17. And I was teaching 18-year-olds. It was a bit bizarre. You know? I mean, I was on teaching practice. I wasn't a proper teacher, but, you know, the same time it was... Um, I kept getting chucked out of the staff room, I seem to remember. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of ended up with a teaching certificate, which I didn't really ever, I think you're meant, you know, it's only becomes a proper sort of qualification if you then go and teach, I think, which I didn't. I, I joined a dance company that went around schools, actually. Right. So, so you kind were one of, of quite a good combination of the, <laughs> you know. Yes. And what period was that? Was that the mid seventies or getting towards the that late was early eighties? The I early eighties, actually. Yeah. So how did things so, change for you during that kind of time of I mean, the seventies the was sort of such a sort of interest in them both politically, there were so many changes yeah. of government, and then there was also, you know, the three day yeah, yeah. there was the endless kind of strikes, there was kind of yeah. um yes, a lot of po- political upheaval. And you mentioned the Canterbury scene and there was punk rock came along and and all those kind of new sort of that new energy that appeared. And then 79 Thatcher gets in and then we have that kind of the Falkland War, the miners crisis. Did that did that sort of impact on your direction for the 80s? I mean, it was sort of very buried into the work, really, I feel like, because, you know, I mean, even I think 1979, I think I was leaving college and I did a piece called Picket Line, which was sort of... um, it was sort of using chorus line, which a lot of our teachers were in at the time. And and I did this dance about everyone on strike and then sort of um and then certainly the, you know the dance company it was in Lancaster called Ludus, which went around us, you know, it went around schools and also we toured to Belfast in the you know 80, 81. Um and we would tour to, you know, it wasn't theatres, it was to leisure centres sort of in the Falls Road or the Shanker Road. So you're kind of very much in the heart of, you know, um, dialogues with, about, with people about things. Yes. Um, the pieces were like theatre and education was in the 80s. I mean, I think it was run actually by the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Um, so it kind of had this, you know, a lot of people were doing shows called Nicaragua or, you know, The Clyde is Red. Um, you know, it's very sort of agitprop heavy content based I mean hard to imagine now touring a school with really hardcore political Marxist messages but I mean it's 
kind of what the 80s was. Yes, uh, absolutely. Bizarrely, sort of, you know, and, and because this, the company was based in Lancaster, so we were often touring, well, a lot of Lancashire and, um, you know, quite a lot of kids who would go, be going into the army, you know, especially sort of north, it was then anyway. I'm yes. Sure about a big recruitment. Well, it was massive, so, wasn't you know, it? The Falklands was a major sort of element of one of the shows we did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that I think it's always hard to divorce in one way or another the politics of the time. I mean, some some work doesn't seem to be about it, but still the conditions that you're in with them where, you know, um, what gets programmed, the kinds of, you know, um, audiences that will cut. I mean, they're you know, they're all part of that sort of event, aren't they? You know? Yes. Well, it did seem a little bit doomed at the time because I remember, mm. I think it was quite divided. You know, there was the sort of very like, wow, this is great. We've got a great prime minister. You know, the Falkland mm. War had gone well. They smashed the miners. But then the other side were people who didn't feel quite like that and, and there was also the Greenham Common and there was, you mm. know, the whole threat of nuclear war. And so, you know, with a lot of the people I've interviewed, especially that 80s period, I think there was a sense of, well, we haven't got that much time left. So it, there's no point. I mean, a lot, I mean, to be honest, a lot of artists that I've interviewed were often unemployed or on job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance schemes, which gave people a one year. Oh, I mean, that was, that's how all the dance companies that I was in started or right. functioned. Um, yes. We were talking about that the other day, actually, the Enterprise Allowance Scheme, um, which is fantastic, actually. It was brilliant because you got, you Amazing. know, about, yeah. about £39.50, but you got yeah. a housing benefit and the council tax paid. And, yeah. and, and you barely, honest... you know, if you didn't make a week or two to sign, you know, it was very, it was oddly relaxed. I mean, we weren't job seekers then, you know, we were no. unemployed. Um, yes. You know, they only sort of started trying to sort of smarten you all up in a weird way but you know that kind of I mean in a funny way because Thatcher didn't you know the arts weren't on the agenda so they were to be honest quite blissfully ignored I I, I felt you know there was a sort of um, freedom in it being not really part of the agenda I, yes. I felt actually and so you know the work certainly the dance company was the most radical <clears throat> in the 80s that I've I, hard to sort of name anything subsequently that's really kind of got near that mark. Um, yes, well, I, I do remember a lot of theatre, a lot of theatre companies as well. Mm. That grew out of that kind of alternative movement in East Anglia. We had things like the Barsham fairs and the Albion fairs, and and people had just got very blissful about these kind of very ideologically kind of excited about sort of moving out of the city, living in little communes, mm -hmm. sort of developing these kind of schemes, which were just beautifully kind of enthusiastic and naive, which is a great combination and um, and sort of not really having any money problems or always being broke but not being in debt, yeah. which is a great combination really. Yeah. So it didn't really yeah. matter. And as you said, if you missed a few weeks signing on, I think they used to do a lot of postal signing on as well. So I, I think, think that's true, you... actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I certainly was cash only for probably good part of those years. You know, I mean, yes. everything was in cash, and possibly you cash a check somewhere, somewhere weird. Yes, uh, absolutely. I don't think I even had a bank account actually. Or no, no, we just went to a post office and 
Yeah. Got stamped somewhere down the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great. Then, then, so when did you develop your first pieces? Because these were the your solo work. Did they begin with, you mentioned Picket Line, but then there was Haunted, Daunted and Flaunted, wasn't there? The, how did these develop in the 80s? Um, I mean, actually, there weren't. I did, um, I remember doing some odd, I mean, there was sort of, because actually the rooms in pubs was quite a thing um, in London, sort of rooms above pubs, which a, friend, a few friends of mine were much more in the comedy circuit. and But they'd have these evenings that were quite quite a combination. You know, you might have a comic, but you'd also have a performance art and then something. Oh, gosh, yes, of course, yes. It's sort of really odd. It's nearly like variety, but for sort of weirdos, you know. I don't you know, it was... Oh, yes, there was... was a really odd combo. So, you know, there was at that point I was doing... I mean, a friend of mine ran a night at the Hemingford Arms, which was in, uh, you know, Caledonian Roads around that bit. And then um, there was a couple... I mean, I was doing an act as a friend of mine. This this is mid-'80s, early-'80s, really. Um, there's a couple of pubs. I mean, they were, were a bit ferocious. We did Camberwell, we did, and we got people throwing coins, but not in a nice way. <laughs> it was quite hardcore. Um, and then I did, I remember doing a solo sort of mid, I mean, it was a 20 minute thing at the Fimbra Arms, um, which someone called Colin Watkins used to run. And he, because he still runs solo festivals, I think in somewhere in, um, uh, towards Battersea, sort of just behind Vauxhall somewhere. Um, so, yeah, these sort of odd events, you know, and then there were people that worked with probably some of those outdoor companies like the Natural Theatre of Bath, and, um, you know, I'd end up doing an odd thing. I, I mean, I worked with a company called Lumiere and Son that sort of did big outdoor events often. Right. Um, like Kew Gardens or Oxford. Uh, no, Magdalen College, was it Cambridge or Oxford? I can't remember. Um, so you know, it sort of it felt quite various the way that you would work. You know, it wasn't sort of you might do a theatre piece, but you might equally do something outside. Or I remember doing something in a field for it was a fundraiser for the Lighthouse, which was an AIDS. So that was probably a bit later, maybe eighties, late eighties. Yeah. Um, but that you know, there was a lot of that pub one-off things in pubs or late night try out at the place even, you know, some just odd, you know, a lot more sort of um, ad hoc and try outy stuff than I, I'm aware of now. I'm sure it is happening and I just, I'm not part of it. So Yes. Well, I, I did an interview with a chap called the Iceman. I can't remember his name, but he just melted a block of ice on stage. But I think right. it was all part of one of those kind of evenings of alternative comedy. Yeah, yeah theatre a ranting poet and anything else that people could put together you got a lot for your money at those stages didn't you yeah yeah and it sort of was quite it had a wide remit you know it wasn't it was a bit pre-Edinburgh having sort of created a comedy circuit which turned all those pubs into just hardcore comedy places you know it was a little bit pre that so comedy hadn't kind of consumed the those spaces and the imagination in a way you know yes um, absolutely so so, so as as you as the 80s progressed what was your first solo piece of work um
I think it would have been like 85 or 86 um, at the Fimbra Arms. Um, and I think, I think we did three or four nights. Um, I've got, I've got, I found the video of it the other day, actually. It starts off with me smoking a cigarette to John Cooper Clark's poem of um, <laughs> Glamour Girls. What's that? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, great poem. There's one called Cycle, but there's, um, yeah. There's, uh, something in 20th century Glamour Girls. I can't, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I obviously shouldn't have been using it. Um uh, is me falling off a chair a lot uh, sideways for about um, <laughs> you know ten minutes, uh, and then me getting someone to catch me, I, you know, sort of quite some odd things. And I think I was on after someone that I just remember the the stage was littered with lentils, and someone had done something with lentils and something to do with chickens, I think. Um, right. <laughs> so it's sort of you know rather chaotic kind of night, but they were cut. And then I think I did a few things that. Chisholm Hale. Uh, there used to be a dance space in the East End, Mile End, still there actually. Um, and they had, I think it was called Cha Cha Cha. They had a sort of one off, you know, you could go and do a tryout of five minutes, 10 minutes or something, you know. Um, I remember doing that sort of a mid 80s. Um, so, you know, I was sort of, I'd, oh, I did a piece actually, the very, probably the very first thing I did was at the ICA with, um, it's a robot, but do you know this, I don't know if you came across this guy called Jim Whiting. Jim Whiting. Um, he made robots for, uh, I mean, they were like, the Herbie Hancock videos had just yes. the legs. Just these, they were kind of metal with compressors. They were quite violent sort of things. He was an incredible guy. He's now got a club in Leipzig, I think, but he, he left England because it was too Philistine. But um, he had this amazing warehouse up in top of Islington that was just full of these sort of, you know, it's just legs running up and down some stairs or arms that were, and, um, you know, just sort of, they were quite violent. You know, these compressors would kind of raise them, you know, kind of very, um, he he also made furniture that you know like wardrobe that would run towards you um, right my god so I, so he's an amazing guy yeah i come across a guy called tim hunkin who made a lot of these kind of models and a guy called ron fuller who also made right. pieces and there was obviously bruce lacy who made a robot or two didn't he yeah but um yeah so no, obviously... jim was, it was really quite you know it's amazing this warehouse where he had lots of because they would kind of they were quite violent and they would sort of fall apart quite frequently. So you had people putting them back together again. You know, there are these all these workers that were just sort of, I mean, it was incredible. You went into this big hall and it was just full of these moving, compressed bits of bodies, you know, fragments of bodies moving with sort of people mending them as they kind of, um, and I used, so I did, I did a duet with one of his uh, robots, um, and I was now, I mean, that was probably 84, I think. Right. And I was looking at the pictures and I thought, wow, it's kind of, I was thinking about AI actually and thinking how sort of ahead of its time it was in a weird way, you know. Um, yes, absolutely. That, that was like, very. Yeah, the pictures are amazing, actually. I'm not sort of Because he modelled the head. I mean, it was a body that was most, it was metal, but the head was modelled on somebody. So it had a face. Um, 
but I was rehearsing in a space down Tooley Street, really old. Um, it's called the Birdseed House. It's attached to Jacob's film lot. There used to be a film lot down Tooley Street. And actually this, this building burnt down. And so I arrived there one day and the, <laughs> the robot was just sort of, it would be suspended from this beam with a sort of burnt face and um, all my records were charred and I decamped. Um, yes. My yeah. God, that sounds rather drastic, actually. So well, how yeah. are you developing your pieces at this moment or this time? Sorry? How are you developing your work and how was this kind of, yes, how were you getting the inspiration to sort of put your narratives I together? I don't know. Why. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not really, I always did it a little bit. You know, I'd often work with companies for sort of a good stretch of time. And then I... You know, I'd often sort of work on my own just as a way to process what I'd just done with the company. So it's a sort of, um, you know, you could sneak into spaces relatively easily. There were people willing to give you a try of, you know, a night. I remember at Brentford I did something. Um, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like, it just felt like sort of playing, playing. you know. Um, yes. Doing things. And um so it's such, yeah, it just sort of continued. And then I think, um, I mean, the Haunted piece was made from, that was a 15-minute commission from um, someone called Emma Gladstone who was working at the South Bank, running a, a sort of kind of evening called Rhythm Method. And again, you you know, you were sort of commissioned in 15 minutes, which was great because it, it was quite a containable amount of time, you know. Um, and that was really great working with her on that, actually. And that, that felt like the sort of beginning of, um, I mean, I made that and then extended it and then it sort of kept developing. And then How did Haunted come about then? What was that kind of initial kind of moment that you thought, oh, I've got a title, I, I've got the idea in my yeah. mind? It was quite speedy, actually. I think, you know, that there's always that sort of, you know, the first thing you do I mean, it's not that I hadn't done other things, but it was the first, maybe, I don't know, it felt different. Um, I mean, it was 90s, actually, and I think it was following, I'd, I'd done a piece of DV8 called Strange Fish. So it was sort of, for me, a bit of a, a, a contrast to use my voice and to make it quite orderly in a way. Yes. And Strange Fish being rather epic um, and sort of, yeah, quite a very epic kind of thing. So it's sort of, you know, it's kind of almost opposite to an antidote, you know, it's sort of very streamlined, um, third person myself, you know, talk my way through and using the language of crime. I can't, I was thinking I was being watching Crime Watch stuff, you know, on TV. Yes. Um, and then, um, I mean, the other thing it sort of made it capitalized on, and I was thinking a lot as well about this recently, was someone I knew in the early 80s called uh, someone called Julian Huff, who worked with um, something called the Theatre of Brent, National Theatre of Brent. I mean, he was an actor apart from that, but he'd been at Drama Centre and had a very unusual, I think, take on dance language. And yeah, he cut, you know, he's. So I and I, I'd watched him a lot in this one of these double acts pieces he'd done called the Messiah. I'd I'd often I'd spent a lot of time watching the same piece. Yeah, and so I think there was something about watching that piece a lot that had kind of, you know, probably 
10 years later, <laughs> sort of re-emerged in a different way. Um, so it was a sort of, yeah, kind of narrating movement. Um, I mean, you know, the way I approached it was very straightforward. You know, I used to have a kind of make 30 seconds a day rule. Um, you know, it was quite, you know, I didn't really sort of sweat too much over it, you know, in a way. Yes. So what what was the the concept between the thirty seconds a day rule? Was that just was that the whatever happened in that day, however long it took, you'd definitely have thirty minutes that you were happy to. Yeah, it's just to get something out that sort of by it also bypasses your kind of judgment bit of your brain going, oh, that's not really you know all of that business, and so you know just makes it a bit. I mean, I think the whole. The whole process, as I say, was a sort of bit of a kind of um, being methodical, you know, pull the emotion out of things, third person yourself and make it quite, you know, something very practical, make it yes. practical things. So, and I think that was in contrast to having done this quite epic emotional work for quite a while, you know, that, that lasted about a year and a half. So it's quite a Good contrast. And I think actually at the same time, I've been doing a, I did morning workshops with um, Complicite around the corner from where I was working. And it, they were, I mean, I wasn't ever going to be in the piece, I don't think. It was just a sort of, I think some people were kind of auditioning. <laughs> I was yes. doing more for the experience. And they were working on a um, Coetzee novel, um, Crusoe, there's a version of Crusoe. Right. Um, but you know, it's kind of interesting spending the mornings with them and doing this work, and then in the afternoons just going and making my work, and then going home. You know, and it sort of it all felt quite orderly. You know, something quite nice about it. Yes, and quite disciplined as well. I would mm. imagine having those that to work on. Did you, as this was kind of the nineties? I mean, how was that feeling for you? Because obviously, we'd sort of gone through. The kind of you know the, a younger period of the eighties, which was sometimes mm. quite grim, and a lot of mm. things changed and happened during that decade. And then the nineties come along, and you know John Major's in power, and things start to sort of economically sort of get a little mm. bit easier, and then mm. sort of drifting in towards the new Labour period. Did that have much of an impact on kind of how you were feeling about life generally, or how you sort of? I mean, were... I think it's sort of. To me, it appeared as sort of expanded opportunities. I mean, it might have been because it coincided with my age and what I was doing, but it also, I mean, in I think 1990, we'd done a piece, you know, I mean, because I, actually in the, in this sort of latest piece, I do a sort of trawl through, through the era. So I've sort of, it's something I've been kind of looking at quite a bit. And that sort of early 90s thing is very much a sort of, well, the flights got cheaper. You know, suddenly the art was suddenly a bit like business. You know, Bexbeer suddenly were backing things and absolute vodka and Barclays new stuff. You know, suddenly all the firms were kind of, you know, the kind of prudential award we got, you know, the insurance company, you know, so a lot of the work was was being sort of propelled or funded or festivals were being made possible because the firms were wanting to be close to art so it's the beginning of that stuff I don't yes. think after then nobody had been interested I mean it wasn't no nobody certainly commerce wasn't interested but so, then so, the, 
there was the Arts Council started getting a lot more money and a lot more kind of money flowing about, wasn't there? There was a lot of projects. Yeah, the British Council also with their sort of soft power, you know, that, that sort of began to be, I mean, I felt like we were on, certainly with DVA, we were often going to East Europe, you know, as that was opening up. Um, you were often in places, I remember being in Slovenia the day it became independent, you know, you were often in these places right in the middle of their sort of opening up process. So that sort of, certainly the Eastern European shift really affected dance a lot because the performers were so amazing actually from there you know that's that area of the world yes you know their kind of commitment to things and their physicality was so extraordinary really you know so there was sort of a lot of impacts in different ways but my main yeah you know it's sort of expand and and traveling you know you just were traveling a lot more you know it wasn't sort of spending all the time in going up and down the motorway you know so suddenly getting on flights yes uh, and the cheap because the flights were cheaper and that's that's how dance was working you know so the two that's what for me the 90s was much more of a sort of and you know the piece that I met haunted you know traveled quite a lot you know we went to Australia to festivals to New York to around Europe Germany and you know it was a sort of very mobile and also, I think dance became a bit more sexy, didn't it? In a way, yeah. There was a lot. There was a kind of like people wanted to suddenly collaborate with dancers, and it all became a bit more yeah, yeah, edgy yeah. in That's places. I do true. remember seeing Marky Smith and the Fall, who at yeah, that, yeah. that stage had been kind of like just an ordinary band, and suddenly they had the Michael Clark Ballet yeah. Company. Yeah, there was a friend of mine in that as well, Curious Orange, I think. Um, oh, that's it. Yes, I went mm-hmm. to see it, and and suddenly everybody wanted to start exploring. Different. I mean, I think they were a little bit ahead of the game. I think that was sort of late 80s a bit. And the guy that ran Riverside was sort of quite renowned for its cross-fertilisation, I think. You know, Riverside at that point housed Michael and it housed Rosemary Butcher and Gabby Asia. You know, it housed quite a lot of the dance things, but it also had a quite radical theatre presence Russians came over to work, you know, it had quite a complex um, cross-fertilisation system going on there. Yes. So, which is, again, something I don't really feel like, you know, things have got very compartmentalised and categorised, you know, so that um, the music belongs with the music and that, you know, I mean, to the point where you kind of feel nearly sometimes, I think, like, I do make jokes, you know, just tall people will go to see tall people perform and, you know, sort of, you know, sort of like you, people are drawn to what they're like, you know, as opposed to these sort of, um, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, it's not always true, obviously, but um, the, certainly the maybe the specialisations of, of things feel like they're kind of, and there's more people doing it. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, who wanted to go on stage? Nobody. You know, it's a sort of it's something that you were laughed at for doing. And now, you know, and since the university courses started yes. and that expanded, I, you know, you feel like it's sort of, and it was people started calling it an industry. <laughs> You're like, oh, is it an industry? Okay. Um, 
Yes, it was. Um, it was much more. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd a... be of that early nineties bit was the sort of it was the beginning of that. Just because the firms came on board and the sort of commerce, the commerce of it, and managers appeared. Yes, offices appeared, and funding started arriving for buildings. Actually, you know, you could get funding for a building, but not for a person. So right. suddenly, the sort of assets, you know assets were important and offices you know I mean people's offices expanded you know insanely you know you'd have 20 people in an office and then on all on full-time stuff and then sort of one artist <laughs> some part-time you know that it felt to me that was the beginning of that rift yes. which has never recovered no I, I yeah that's interesting because I often find myself and it was one of those things to do with getting to an, a certain age in life where you suddenly thought I must sort out my <laughs> estate and my will yeah. and I thought oh who should I leave it to and stuff like that and I can see why the donkey gets it because in a way I thought oh an arts organization would be good and I thought oh they'll just get a marketing person and then an admin yeah. and then a finance and then a you know another marketing person Consultant, and a fundraising yeah. and it's like yeah but I'd rather give it to an artist to do something, not just, you know, yeah. bunk yeah. it away in a way. Yeah. You know, just it's that 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 frustration, you know, like the, yeah. the the Norwich Festival, you know, they've got a great building now and it's cost a fortune, you think. Yeah. But they haven't got that much money for a good programme this coming year. And you're thinking, <laughs> it's like, it's a shame. Well, it's the only, overheads of those places sort of defeat them, I think, you know. And the amount of staff and everything. And yeah. you're thinking, for a three-week festival, you know, you didn't really, I don't know, it's just, you almost think, I don't really understand it, but I think it kind of could have been a bit tighter and then had a few more acts. But then they, I suppose when you were talking about um, those things about companies, because they love to sponsor kind of events that take place at the Speed or Spiegel tent. And it's kind of interesting that companies wouldn't want to sort of sponsor something a bit edgy and a bit, you know, yeah. but then you realise that becomes a little bit kind of corny that think, oh, yes, we want to take our accountants or lawyers to something a bit edgy. We don't want it to yeah. be too boring. But then you realise that becomes a commodity in itself. And you yeah. think Actually, that loses its kind of appeal, you know. But it so. sort of tames things down, you know, in, in a way, actually, oddly, you know. And it's yes. Sort of, um, I mean, maybe every system does that anyway, you know, um, and that's always the tension. But yes, um, well, there is a there is a term that people use which makes me always feel a little bit wobbly when they say, "Oh, I want to go and see some left field stuff," and I think, mm -hmm. oh, right, you've got mm -hmm. to want to be seen to be at the radical end of left field," and you just think, mm -hmm. "I'm not, I'm not sure if it can be that easily left." Oh, I like outsider art, and it's almost yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. all a bit too. It's well, rather it's than like being... you can, you know, people studying to be activists now, and you think that's, there's something a bit perverse about that. I don't know. Call me old fashioned, but you know, I'm not yes. quite sure who's teaching that anyway. You know, like who's who's teaching you to be an activist, and how do you pass, or do you want to pass anyway? If you're an activist, yeah. you presumably will want to fail. But, um, yes. yes, I don't know. Seems. Mm -hmm rife with problems um, yes it's flawed really there so as we we would we were sort of wombling towards the the millennium and you because mm. you did you did haunted and obviously thought let's do haunt daunted and flaunted mm. so you had a good scheme there then as <laughs> as the millennium appeared did that have any kind of impact on your kind of next direction i mean i did um i think after haunted i did a piece called happy hour which was set in a bar 
And I did, again, that was a commission for um, a bar in um, Spitalfields called Spit, The Spits, used to be called, yeah. I, think, I, I don't think it exists now. It's a shop, some awful shop. But, um, and yeah, so again, that was, and I think it was sharing a night. I seem to remember two women doing something that's quite odd um, with bits of wood or something, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> something weird night. Um, but again, it was sort of like 15 minutes and the idea, there's a friend of mine called Tim Etchells who runs a company called Forced Entertainment or, you know, is in a company. Yes. Um, and he saw the piece and liked it. So we sort of developed it into about a 40 minute, 45 minute piece, um, tried to put it in a theatre and it didn't really work there. So it sort of went back to bars and then I ended up doing quite odd tour of quite a lot of places in bars in you know in Australia and America did a very odd tour just after 9-11 actually so that would have been right on the turn of the right so this is like 2001 yes yeah and that you know it went we did New York we did the Pittsburgh you know the gallery Warhol gallery in Pittsburgh um Alaska, did a bar in Alaska, um, Portland, and um, a place in Vermont. I can't remember. I can't remember the place in Vermont. What's it called? Um, so yeah, it was kind of an, a re- really quite an odd tour, I have to say. Yes. Um, and also did some very, you know, did a very weird place in Prague with it, the piece, Dublin. Um, Really, you know, some, as you might imagine, some nice gigs and bars in Dublin um, doing a piece about drinking. Um, And so that, you know, that felt really rich, actually. And then sort of following that, the 2000, it's a millennium bit. I don't know, you know, it's weird. I I don't really, I think ever since the millennium, I'm, you know, again, when I was doing this timeline for the piece that I'm doing at the moment, and I... I think it might be the internet, but to be honest, my memory is very hazy. And I think it's because a lot of stuff is to do with online. Yes. From that, certainly, sort of, you know, maybe the early bit of 2000s, but it also sort of feels like everything falls apart a bit. And I, I'm really pushed to sort of recall, you know, I can sort of suddenly recollect, you know, it's like 2015 got a bit beheady, you know, when all the sort of jihadi John and the, you know, there was the sort of terrorists, the axis of evil and all of that. Yes. In a way, feels like it's sort of been humming its way through the last 20 years um, and continues to hum its way, you know. I don't know, it's sort of... Um, I, I'm. I really probably have I'm pushed to have made any sense of the last 23 years. Because <laughs> um, you did you did after that, you did Desert Island dancers, didn't you? And then Keep On Dancing followed up. Yeah. What were those kind of pieces? How did those pieces come about? Um, again, there was sort of, I guess there was much more of a model of, I mean, I'd worked, I think I worked with Forced Entertainment as a company for about two or three years in about 2003, 2002, so forth. Um, 
And so, you know, a little bit habitually following that experience. I mean, the thing with solos is that you can actually raise enough money to work slowly. And I work quite slowly. Yes. You know, I've other people can work very quickly. And, you know, um, it's why I've tended not to do those sort of jobs with theatre, you know, like get, get a movement person into a theatre company and make a dance quickly. <laughs> you know, nothing like, I've got, I can't make it quickly. So, you know, the, I think that sort of, the Desert Island Dances one was sort of, it was an idea that didn't really work, um, I don't think. It came from a letter that a lad in Eritrea actually had sent me, because my name is Wendy Houston, and he, I think he thought because my name was similar to Whitney, I could somehow connect them up. Right. <laughs> it was very weird. And he'd written... Oh, that was no, it's the 48 almost love lyric. Actually, that was a piece that I made. And uh, he he said, Oh, I've written I've written this written the music to 48 or 48 almost love songs, I think, or love lyrics. Um so it's sort of that came from that a little bit. Um I mean they sort of they were I think I got embroiled in sort of sort of formal investigations of you know how you construct something. Right. Anything else? A little bit. Um, the keep dancing one was. I wish I'd sort of pushed that a little bit more. It was sort of more a video with me, with a computer. Just really. I mean, really, the heart of it is the computer just going dancing and dancing. You know, sort of. And my idea was to keep moving until you know the last audience member had left. When I did it in Glasgow, they just sat around, which was not my intention. So I did, I thought, I'd go get rid of you. Um, and I'm sort of, I am more, while I kind of move in that performance world, I'm probably more in the traditional beginning, middle and an end world, you know. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could think it's probably the law of diminishing returns of the pieces I've made. You know, yes. Sort of, but then you you sort of in 2012 you had another one didn't you 50 acts which was yeah now that sort of well in a way that's the form I sort of suddenly found the form for the the you know so I think all of that work earlier the three pieces I'd done earlier which was sort of stabbing around but not very successfully kind of cohered with 50 acts actually which was probably you know that and haunted as sort of probably the most coherent pieces I'd say that I've made you know they're kind of um just the form of them is very sort of straightforward you know yes and dealing with obviously getting older aging and yeah death yeah. is also one of those things that's ever sort of tapping yeah. on our shoulders hovering. really yes yeah. it's ho 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 hovering because you had the was that does it the um the sad death of one of your sort of um friends Nigel yeah. Char Charnock. How yeah. did that sort of impact on your work at that stage? I mean, to be honest, it made me, I just stopped, I think, for about a year, actually. I just, I just remember sitting on the sofa and playing computer games. And actually, because I was playing word computer games, when I finally came to make the piece, that's what sort of um, was the piece almost, this sort of weird word association that was... Um, a little bit also homage to him because he's he was a very prolific speaker um you know good uh i mean you know actually he's you know his voice is he's very currently in my mind and sort of 
um, you know, set set against the sort of atmosphere of the present time. You know, his sort of approach to speaking freely and um, saying what he thought, you know, without rancor and without, but it was still, it was always quite a shock, you know, but it, he sort of, he took, I always felt like he took responsibility for that, you know, so he's sort of, um, he's very kind of, he's a thread within the piece that I'm doing at the moment. Um and really, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting to think that actually, you know, it's nearly 10, well, it's probably 12 years really since he died, actually. Um, I think it's 2012. Is it 2012? Can't you see, I don't, I'm not even sure. <laughs> I can't even remember. Um, yes. I think it's 2012. Yeah. So it's sort of, um, Yeah, it sort of felt like one of those very shocking, you know, and I, I think people generationally, you know, they kind of often have someone that's close to them as their peer group colleague, not not parental, but sort of, you know, that that sort of um shatters the <laughs> shatters something, you know, in the Yes. And your sense of luckiness or your, you know, even even your history, you know, your past history has sort of been fragmented in a way, isn't it? You know, when someone takes bits of it with them. You know. Well, it's always, I don't know, there's something that you just don't realise when you're younger, what it's like as you get older. And then you realise when you look at your parents yeah. as they get older as well, what it must feel like when so much of what they've known has all passed away. And you think... Yeah. God, yeah. you know, I used to get shocked if, you know, you knew one person had passed, but how do you know, feel mm. when your whole family and you're the only mm. one left of that family and all the people you remember in the village have passed and yeah. you can visit them in the in the cemetery, in the graveyards. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of find that. But then, you know, getting to that, finding myself also getting to that age where, you know, it's conversations around going to dentists and doctors at the moment, especially yeah. dentists, is just extraordinary. Not I just bodies. Yeah. I mean, I saw someone recently. We're allowed, we're allowed like two minutes to talk about bodies. Then we have to talk about, you know, because it can become this sort of absolutely kind of. Um, but it's also fascinating, to be honest. You know, sort of walking around in something that's clearly falling apart. It's sort of, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, um, if it weren't happening to you, sort of. Yes, I know. Idea, but, um, this is true. So as we as we sort of moved, and then obviously the lockdown came around, which was a bit of a surprise for all of us as this decade. How did that affect your kind of work and and sort of direction as suddenly being in this isolation? I, I mean, I'm not sure really because I I've got a feeling that even prior to that, I'd already slightly. Um, Sort of retreated for a bit. I mean, I probably thought I was retreating as opposed to sort of, you know, completely disappearing. But um, and in a funny way, I actually quite, you know, the, the fact that we were all in the same situation of being, I find it quite a relief to an extent, you know, that it sort of took away an element of competition, I felt, you know, and it sort of, um, it's very unusual for us all to be in in a communal i know i know some people weren't you know there were various ways that it hit people so i am not in any yes. way sort of 
<clears throat> but but the actual situation was a universal situation, you know, um, and that's pretty unusual. I don't know that I've experienced that in my lifetime apart from that situation. Um, you know, it'd have to be a war. You yeah. Know, it's happening in this country or something equivalent to do that, you know, perhaps when it's snowing, <laughs> you know, oh, everyone's got, st- you know, there's a sort of, you, you know, there's you're suddenly in a bigger thing. So, you know, in, in a funny way, I found it, I, I thought there was an opportunity there actually for something to alter. And I think sadly it was missed and we've, we, I feel like we've returned to uh, unpleasantness times 20, you know, there's some incredibly bad behavior going on in various, I know everyone's under the cosh with money and all of that, but there's just, there's something not right about how people are communicating with each other. It's, it's not kind of, it's like trust is broken or, you know, something's, something's sort of the rhythm of it's gone, you know, so sort of. Yes. Well, it has, it, it was, it did, it, it, it was like some, you know, during that period and all the lockdown and whose bubble were you in and yeah, communicating yeah. through sort of computers, which actually suddenly became quite okay once you could um, work out the technology. There was mm-hmm. that sense that things would be different when it when it was over, you know, and we wondered when it was going to be over. But then when it was, it, there was no difference at all. It was almost like just a bit of a yeah. blur and and it's like back to normal and you know, there was the idea that people wouldn't go out and go to spaces with coughs and colds, and people do go out with coughs and colds and yeah. spread them. And so it's like and nothing's the, been learned. Nothing. <laughs> Zero has been learned. So, so you know, our capacity for, I mean, it, you know, it's it sort of revealed us. You know, it revealed the human sort of. Um, <sighs> I don't know. I just felt a bit sort of like, oh God, is this how appalling we are? You know, I think in my it, it broke my fantasies of where I thought I was living. You know, I kind of thought we'd all be. You know, I know all of the clapping and the sort of rather sentimental stuff, but I did. Yeah, I was quite disappointed with. Um, The reality of it. I mean, it's it, you know, I, I can't think how it could have been any otherwise, really. But you know, I just, I somehow thought there'd be more care, kindness, you know? yeah, kindness in yeah. the world. But um, yes, it's slightly lacking, and now we're all just getting a bit more tense as yeah. this year's appeared, which could yeah. all go terribly weird. But then, you know, so you are you working on a piece at the moment, quite or is well, that... I'm just um, sort of reviving. I did. I mean, I did the performance in Brighton last. March, and that piece is now returning um, to Soho Theatre in March and to Manchester. I've got two performances up north in, uh, sorry, I shouldn't do that accent, edit that out, (laughs) (laughs) racist, Um, uh, at the Lowry in Manchester and then at a university in Liverpool called And this is Watch It, isn't it, which is in March, March the 14th, which is only around the corner. So what does this comprise of? Um, I mean, it's sort of quite episodic. It's more, I mean, you know, in terms of the age situation we're talking about, it's way less movement than ever. Um, and I kind, I had set out to do that anyway, and then I actually had a sort of weird thyroid problem, which sort of did alter my energy quite substantially. So 
as a sort of method of adapting to it. It's actually quite a quiet piece, you know, it's it's very um it sort of discusses issues as far as I see them that I in in a way that I probably don't possibly align with, you know, received theories of like critical race theory. I don't really um subscribe to that. So, you know, but I deal with my adopt mixed heritage past but in a way that probably doesn't toe the line in terms of what one should be thinking um in terms of you know there's, there's I, I sort of have this feeling that there's a sort of formula for the ways that we should be thinking now um yes and i keep noticing that i'm not quite able to subscribe to those uh but with good reason you know not i'm not just being sort of RC negative, but I'm just trying to, um, you know, work my own way through questions of what is biology, what's identity, what's heritage, what's race, what's um, what's asking a question, what's when, and you know, also thinking about Nigel and um, this sort of voice that, you know, when you hear it, you kind of go, oh my god, how freely people used to speak, and how not freely they. You know how unfreely people speak now. You know, yes, it is. So with this, have you been working on it? I mean, did you say you started it last year? Or... Well, it was performed last year, and it's sort of been in in a lull. Um, and I'm now just I'm in the middle of sort of re, you know, rework. Well, I'm leaving it as close to. It's original as I can, but some some bits feel not very satisfactory. Right. So I'm trying to think, you know, tightening it up. And um, so, yeah, I'm just embarking on a sort of two and a half month, three month, um, getting it back into action before getting the. In. Before and the so, do you work with, is it Kate Champion and, and Hans Land? Yeah, I mean, they're not, they won't be working with me on it because Kate lives in Australia. Um, and Hannah's is working on a piece. Hannah's will come in for a few days, I think. Um, it's yeah, it's a little bit complicated. I did today feel like I thought, oh, well, I do need to. There's some of the material I need to work with somebody on it because it's too. Um, uh, but I'm yeah, I'm just waiting any day now to find out if I've got funding so I can afford space because you know doing it in your home is not a great idea. No, you can do so much, but um, you never really uh, get the clarity that you need. You know, I think. Yes, absolutely. So you're doing this in London, um, Manchester, and then taking it to London as well. Yeah, it's, it'll begin in Liverpool early March, um, Manchester on the 14th, and then Soho Theatre the 20th to the yes. 23rd. So it's great. You know, it's four nights. Four nights, and then, and then any other dates coming up for later on in the year. I haven't at the moment, yeah. So that's kind of I'm going to hopefully use, you know, these performances to procure more. But it's it's costly to perform, you know. You, do, you it's very hard to earn because I have a technician, you know. Once you have a technician, travel, um, you know, just basic costs to get somewhere, stay for a night, even um, two nights. Yes, and tech sort of tends to use up what can be offered as a fee these days <laughs> so <laughs> if there is a fee yes. or it's more and more box office you know so then you're into a different game anyway 
Yes, this is this is all rather tricky, isn't it, really? So then then sort of later on in the year, will there be any sort of other scope for other projects or are you going um, to just see what happens after March? Yeah, see what happens. I mean, it's, you know, I don't think I'm alone in, um, I think, partly generational, partly my maybe my sort of reputation for being a little bit straightforward. <laughs> this is not helping me at the moment. Um, <laughs> You know, arts arts policy is altered dramatically in a way that sort of really kind of have to cite community impact, you know. I mean, someone, as far as I can understand, the community is meant to impact even on what you do, almost to the point of having requested the, the material. So, you know, I, I find I find the policy, I understand its intentions, which I think are very honourable, but I find the method really quite damaging at the moment I think it's um you know and it's it's unnecessarily alienating people with some experience because you're sort of I think seen a little bit as um cause of many of our problems so often yes I think um but I think that's built into some of the some of the sort of pervading ideologies of the moment that sort of cast you know older generation as the core cause of damage and therefore you know need to disappear <laughs> God, that, sounds <laughs> bleak. that does sound I, th- yes. I think it's there as a subplot I mean I don't think it you know I, I might be overstating it but I, I you know what I witness is that is people sort of using you know bending to the system in a way which everyone does but for me it produces sort of slightly odd and at times, I think unethical, you know, where you use a community to sort of raise the money for you, you know, because you're going to help them. And, and so to me, it's got a sort of rather missionary zeal to it. Um, it ends up being that you end up having to sort of pathologize groups of people that need help <laughs> and that will benefit from something you're doing. And then presumably should not get better otherwise you won't get money again so um right my thought you know, built is... into that policy is i think a sort of um the situation better not improve otherwise you're gonna have to think up a new excuse to raise some money to help someone else you know i don't know it's does it does it pay to be very cynical then I, it might just be my age and you know that's how i'm feeling but i i can't help I think there's just I think when when policies are brought in very quickly and when they haven't really been thought through carefully enough. So and actually, I mean, you know, the Arts Council is really just doing the government's bidding now. I don't, you know, the idea that there's really an independent voice there, I think, is debatable at best. Um so you know, you you kind of when you feel like the sort of um, a policy is being so directly moved from central government to the ground, it becomes unsettling. You know, I think there's something not very healthy about that. Um, yes. That's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It sort of has. I mean, it feels that's what's happened with the, you know, the, the variety of conservatives that we've had in the last 
years where they've they've kind of dismantled the law. They've dismantled, you know, they've been busy dismantling quite a lot of quite key things, I think, you know. Um, and I do think we're sort of feeling the impact of that because the sort of the kind of independence of anyone is is disappeared, which I think is partly, you know, why everyone's so down because they you know they're you know there's no, no there's no room for their initiative you know it's sort of big, you do what do what it says you know yes um and then you just get this sort of rather sort of odd portrayal of you know it feels like a little bit of a let's get the look you know that those adverts 90s sort of get the look <laughs> get the style get, get the look of a diverse robust economy you know <laughs> so it looks you know so the art it's and it's up to the arts to make it look you know this is get get the modern look this is what modern britain looks like and you kind of it just feels very sort of veneer, veneer. do you feel like it's just um too too many kind of token gestures that that sort of feel like it, it can't be that authentic because it's it's just been sort of designed by committee. I mean, I, I wonder who the committee is, really. I, I'm not even sure. You know, when I have spoken to people in the Arts Council recently, they talk about the Arts Council as they. So as if they're not part, as if the people themselves are not part of it, which... You know, they're very subtle things. They don't, you know, they're not, they're just happening in the language. And I kind of go, that's odd. It's, you know, if you, if you work for something and you call them they, <laughs> um, sort of seems to hint that you don't think you're part of it in some way. Yes. Um, so, you know, everyone. I, I just feel like it's like central government, uh, you know, full of idiots absolute fucking idiots just you know giving out dictates and making sure it happens um finding enough willing people but i don't i don't think anyone's got room for maneuver you know that's that's what i i smell a kind of you know people being restricted and um not that some great things aren't happening as well so you know yes it's just hard to I'm find sure. them yeah, I know this. It's a it's a very long way from those kind of rather bonkers kind of clubs that you mentioned about in the eighties, yeah. where you got some such random things. But there was definitely um, sort of real estate and sort of health and safety sort of allowed, you know, very various things. Even you know the buildings were often completely inaccessible. So you know, a lot of the regulation. It's complicated life for things like that, you know. Um, I mean, I saw an early Pogues thing, and they were at the London Film Co-op, which is used to be around Gloucester, Gloucester Terrace, I think. It's around the back of Camden. And those buildings were sort of really, and London Musicians Collective, they were sort of empty factory rooms, I think, you know, yes. crumbling. I don't really think anyone should have been in them, <laughs> you know. So they kind of all had that, you know, don't touch, oh, don't mind the running water on the wall and sort of just careful with that plug because, you know, it's sort of <laughs> kind of slightly chancy. 
field. Yes. Well, there was kind of there was a very good venue in London called the was it the ambulance station that used to put on a lot of it was a squad oh. where they used to put on a lot of gigs and stuff and you know it just I think it might a, still be there actually down um not down near Holborn I don't know I mean I'm sure it's it, but this was in the 80s so I'm sure things have changed a lot but you know those uh when you look at the photographs and and the scene you can see that nobody was in charge particularly and yeah. um, but then you know there were some great things that came out of it as well and I know a lot of people who put on events in the you know those fairs and festivals mm-hmm. they were you know in the 70s and 80s again health and safety you know they just thought we would just never have got away with it but we they didn't even think about what they were doing in those terms so they didn't have I to also think they weren't that popular were they <laughs> I don't think I mean you know I don't know where they were advertised um It didn't feel, you know, and the advertising was, you know, there'd be in city limits or time out, but it wasn't like, um, you know, no one spent a lot of money on publicity. There was no. Well, there used to be a lot of word of mouth and little yeah. underground magazines or papers. And I think yeah, if you yeah. were just the alternative scene in those days, that's a really dreadful term. I think it was much more focused that you just picked up an audience and for a few years, it would be a very honeymoon period where people would really enjoy it. And then, you know, people yeah, fell out. Commu- sort of yes. And, and you know, the audience would get a bit too excitable or, or the crowd yeah. would be a little bit too violent. But initially, I think there were some great moments and um, some great events that took place around, well, certainly this area that people, you know, had a fantastic time and, and you know, certain... I know Bruce Lacey used to do this particular show. He was always, he always seemed to end, you know, begin and end quite naked. He he used to bring in a lot of North American Indian stuff. I do remember one show that he, he loved playing with fire. And I remember he had this target that was spinning round and it was made of straw and he had this, and to get it to burn, he had this bow and arrow and he was trying to hit it with this flaming arrow and was missing. And I remember just laughing and and just thinking if anybody doesn't move behind that they're going to be killed with a flaming arrow but they you know those events were still quite special because they were bonkers you know but and and sometimes they went terribly wrong but sometimes yeah I remember seeing one is it test department I remember seeing in um under a flyover and I did see someone step backwards off quite a high platform onto some concrete and I never knew what happened to them actually um, no but um but you know at the same time yeah mostly people were okay apart from those those older times but you know again there was no you know they they weren't worried about I think people were just interested in what they were performing and if you liked it you the yeah. audience liked it that was fine but they weren't I mean to be honest if my imagination goes anywhere at the moment it goes much more to that sort of world of Probably being outside, you know, being able to sort of do something without permission, very ad hoc. Um, and I know a few people are sort of talking in that manner without um, you know, it's just trying to sort of get a sense. I mean, I you know, yeah, I don't know that that's where my head tends, you know, I had an idea for sort of doing something outside a stage door of a theatre, you know, in the sort of dim light. And there's something about sort of touring outside a theatre that, you know, probably in my imagination was going to be busy, but probably now will be closed. But it doesn't really make any difference, you know, sort of, um, you know, 
there's, there's something about the outside that I, I have a feeling is, um, and something that can be done without, you know, yeah, very ad hoc, very quickly, doesn't care, doesn't matter if anyone sees it or doesn't see it. So, you know, the trick is then about how you earn money, you know. Yes, and that's. Um, that's a whole nother go game, there. <laughs> so what was what was the reason for moving to Hebden Bridge? What was the the push for that? I mean, I financially had to leave London because the flat was so um I mean I was one of those criminals that bought my council flat, but the costs are astronomical. I'm you know, the service charge is massive. And then every year they were doing, you know, we're doing the roof at 30 grand, we're doing this, 20 grand, you know. And they don't really, that's a quite unspoken about bit, um, all with awful, awful firms that you kind of end up fighting. They all appeared in Grenfell, you know. So I felt also, you know, and I have many friends try to fight Camden Council on many fronts and uh, you never win, you know, you're never going to win. Uh, so it, it was great to get out of the flat and away from that, you being out of control of costs and how it worked. It was, it was great while I was there. but um, And then I really wasn't sure where to be, to be honest. So I spent a year actually going pretty much clockwise around the island, um, staying with various people that, uh, you know, all played. You know, I looked at Lancaster, Exeter, you know, which, and that, and it was a bit. It was very random. I'm still not totally sure why I'm here, and I'm not sure how long I'll last. It's a little bit dark for me. It's valley, and you know, it's a little bit yes, claustrophobic, very damp um, for an arthritic body, um, a bit hilly. But there's, you know, there's incredible. There's something very mesmerising about the sort of. I mean, I think I came because of the proximity to moors and unpopulated open space and that there is something amazing about that you know this sort of um lack of density in in the population which when i go south and you know family in kent and you just the compression of people you know um, yes and to be honest really i'm a londoner and everywhere else in england is just not london <laughs> so, so. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Where do you? You're in Brighton, are you? No, Norwich. Uh, Norwich. Okay. A fine city. Have you ever performed in Norwich? Um, I don't think I have. Lincoln. Lincoln. No. Bury St Edmunds. Getting closer. Yeah. Tiny old little theatre in Bury St Edmunds. No, not in Norwich actually. No. Oh, cheesy, crazy. That's terrible. I mean, yeah, So you're you're in Hebden Bridge for the moment, anyway. So. Uh, mm. At least it's worth another summer. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your like sixteen-year-old self, start now. Is there anything in particular that you might have just whispered and said, "Oh, that would have been a a good thing," or mm. avoid that? Or is there? A, I mean, even if your sixteen-year-old self ignored it, I mean, mm. what what would you have thought about saying? So get a pension. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm in a very precarious position now. I mean, in terms of actually working, though, I don't know really. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I've done. You know, it's not been a planned route, but I'm.
I sort of, I don't know that. I don't know I'd say anything actually. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, no, it's fair enough. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. most people, I don't know, say things in the, I suppose a lot of people, I suppose when, you know, would say, have said, you know, oh, I wished I'd enjoyed it more or I'd wished I didn't drink quite so much or, yes. No, I don't, um, I mean, I think all of those, everything I did was essential to, what what I am you know so I can't I, I remember ages ago actually it's a really interesting woman called Irene Dowd, Dowd I think her name is very kind of renowned um body worker in New York and I'd, I had a problem with my shoulder and I mean I, in my life I've done a lot of very kamikaze you know fallen from things and I had this sort of weird shoulder anyway and I just remember her saying, never regret anything that you've done with your body. And I, I really abide by that, actually. I think, yeah, you just, that's what you did. You know, it's not. Um... And, and it's, it's sort of still an ongoing, you know, I'm just following a question, really, which I know I'll never answer. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's a still, it's still continuing. So it's because otherwise, you know, to sort of, to leave a comment now would be like you're signing out and I haven't quite signed out yet you know no. not far off but in a, in a weird way that's what I'm if anything I'm trying to hear what I've forgotten that person at 16 knew because <laughs> I think I probably knew more then than I know now actually you know I can't I sort of so I keep stumbling on bits of it's actually, it's probably especially the 80s, and they're sort of very sketchy diaries, but they're often about what you're going to see stuff. And I kind of go, wow, there's there's such um, it's a freedom in that. But I think that was the, I don't know if it's the time or the fact I didn't know anything, I didn't have a plan. I mean, I still don't have a plan, though. I mean, I'm, you know, nothing's altered in a way. And I don't, I don't know that I can see what it would look sensible for me to, you know, that's why I think, well, pension, yes, definitely. Um, I've just given up smoking. But I still don't, I don't regret the fact that I smoke, but, you know, I mean, I think, well, that's what I did, you know. It's not, um, I don't like this new, it's interesting, I spoke to this friend of mine, he's just moved somewhere and, it's you know, it's a different country and he was sort of saying, oh, you know, it's quite arrogant to lean on your own culture. And I thought, well, that's weird statement you know it's the, I feel like there's a sort of appetite to treat the past as a sort of um quite piously you know look back on it with a with some disdain <laughs> um which I also think is that that those corrective you know oh my young self I, I just well It, it treats, yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's not a sort of mode that I, I slip into very easily. No, uh, no. Well, and, and the also, chaos of the present sort of thing. Right, so. Well, it was something exciting when, you know, every night was potentially going to be that night that was going to, one was going to see, hear something kind of amazing and every, it was always an adventure and, 
I don't know. There was something, it was something great about, I think, being young and having that cultural appetite for things mm, that mm. you just wanted to, to sort of think, God, I've got nothing, you know, I've got, I've got a blank slate here and I really want to get that kind of culture yeah. <laughs> somehow. I, to... I feel like if I did that now, you know, if I thought, oh, I'm going to go and see that and I'm going, it wouldn't have, You know, all well, it's all curated, you know, everything feels much more curated and presented and sort of self-conscious and is telling me something and everyone's got a message and I don't know, like shout out, I don't give a shit about your message. Um, <laughs> yes, is it good art? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be told, you know, taught anything anymore about, or I don't want to change the world even, you know. I mean, yeah, okay, it's a mess, but, you know, just making it worse by shouting, you know, <laughs> like it's, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I, I kind of I feel like the oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's I don't, it doesn't feel like giving up. It feels like a sort of um It may be a different principle that comes yes. about with age where you think, or don't, you know, don't add, remind me of my dad a bit, you know, but sort of don't add to the noise. And um, it's interesting because there's quite, quite a lot of artists or musicians, especially I, I interview in America, and, and um, so many of them have ended up in those kind of wooden shacks around mm. the Joshua tree or mm. uh, New Mexico, those kind of desert mm. area states there. And it is mm. quite sweet, really, because it's like, you know, they've got five acres. There's just nothing apart from desert. You know, they've got a few horses and they, you know, mm. it's like literally they go, oh, look, on Zoom, you know, here's where I live now. And this is, I've got yeah, my yeah, little yeah. studio and I can just, and I, you know, just get away yeah. from everything. And and now I can just, you know, a few musicians, they can send files and put stuff up on Bandcamp. And, but I think mentally, I think it's kind of like, I just want to get away from people and. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know and just yeah. focus and just enjoy the the milky way and um just look after yeah, it's something about time and space really to me and it's sort of you know because actually I do, you know I have a couple of friends you know they're not well and it really makes you conscious of time and um I mean I was just listening to John Donahue I really like the Irish sort of mystic in a way poet you know sort of talking about people's of becoming the target of time in a way um which is sort of what you know and there is something i mean perhaps that's what everyone's trying to do is to sort of reconfigure the relationship you know because you talked about stress as just being a perverted relationship with time which i think is true you know like well, kind of doing battle with it all the time um but yeah so that you know I kind of when, when I'm at my happiest I'm listening to people chattering on about what it is to be alive and um you know how to do it but sort of without doing anything at all just sitting there <laughs> listening to it I'm not I haven't got any intention of acting on any of it at all you know just, no oh how interesting I'll make a cup of tea you know it's like that <laughs> level of um yes and did you enjoy, I know you're, um, see, Dorothy Max Pryor sort of recently brought her book out. Did you? Oh, I haven't in, seen that, actually. Oh, right. She's seen that, yeah. She's got a book about her 70s and uh, I think most of her 80s, actually. Okay. 
So, um, you oh, know, let's just look at that, actually. Yeah. It's just one of those kind of interesting snap, not snapshot, because it's a huge amount of work. I think yeah. it was when she was just living in one particular place in London and all the mm -hmm. stuff that went on there. I just wondered if you'd been enjoying also engaging in people's own stories and oh I love uh, that yeah no I really love that sort of stuff actually I mean I'm really I'm quite obsessed on Twitter with sort of sites that do locations in the 80s or you know um or sort of music sort of records you know archive archive footage I'm quite mesmerized by all of that actually Yes, especially locations. I mean, I end up watching films that are made at that time, not for the actors. I'm always trying to <laughs> look around the actors to see the place, you know, and just sort of go, "Oh my God, how different!" You know, just the the, the cars, you know, the bikes, the hair yeah, trucks. no, no, less street lights, you know, less traffic lights, no, um, and it's just it's also pre-internet people. You know, I'm fascinated with looking at people online that are sort of are not used to being looked at. You know, don't you know, don't really care about being looked at, you know. Yes. So, um, I know. Phone boxes. We were obsessed with phone boxes back then, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah, we were I was talking about that with a friend the other night, actually, about um the amount of coins and then even the black, the black telephone boxes with A and B. I don't, and I don't remember what the A and B was for. There was sort of like A equals B, sort of buttons at the top. And oh, was that for local or it's like trunk, something to do with trunk calls, whatever a trunk call was. But um, I think it was one which was one was more local than the other. Right. And, um, I don't know. And there would be like those, like, the, yeah, they would sort of, I find it amazing and can't hardly believe it, but, you know, the yellow pages or the phone book being yeah. that you'd look oh, at. That's the true. Top. They'd be in the thing, wouldn't they? You know, and the mouthpiece smelling of nicotine. Absolutely. I know. Absolutely. It was, it was um, that, you know, you'd be there and then someone would be outside. And you'd think, yeah. Oh, God, I'm just, I'm on the phone. <laughs> Kicking them. Like, but it was very, you know, all, all, you know, taking a phone call, telling someone, pretending you've got a phone box, and then going, or yeah. phone, so going there and standing, waiting for it to ring, and then quickly, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, I'm not, not in the street, oh, <laughs> you know. It was, um, yeah, I know people. That, that is just boggling, really, you know. So, I th think go. it's just a different sense of where you were located, and even though the internet sort of joins you, it really doesn't as well you know um so it does it does too much work somehow i think for you yeah, so you're we, left. we used to often be hurrying into libraries looking for things so, yeah um, but now we just go online and it's there it's well just... yeah and yeah actually i think probably you could find more because i don't yeah, i think now people are sort of like oh keep that secret <laughs> you know you don't want that online so you can control what's online I think more than you could certainly like local history stuff and you know actually because I was adopted you know going I mean although having said that I did find quite extraordinary what you can find online um, but I remember a sort of year where you could go into like Hammersmith Library and you could end up you could get people's phone numbers that's much harder to do now you can do it but um you know you could do it without anyone else knowing you've done it yes 
I think now people would all know that you've done it. Something, but um, yes, I spend a lot of time looking for people's phone numbers. <laughs> Don't want you to think I'm that kind of person. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Anyway, look, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for this. I mean, if you want, I can always send you the link and um, you can always put it on your website and um, if you want. But thank you again for your time. This has been brilliant. And I'm yeah, so it's pleased. lovely to talk. I didn't um, know what kind of chat it would be. But this is, yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's, yes, it's always interesting to hear. Actually, it's just interesting hearing people's stories. It yeah. is just fascinating to hear the the way things develop because often no one has a plan when you start do you and um, anything could happen yeah I mean Mm. I think also because that era is not very archived I mean again no one was taking not many pictures not many videos that's why I'll find Dorothy's book actually because yeah Dorothy Max Pryor find her book and also yes that's one thing that people would say to their 16 year old take more pictures is one thing that someone I'm a lot quite of people... glad I'm quite glad they're not there <laughs> I know. Very, very happy There's but very... it's a bit like you were saying you know on those films you're not always looking at the actor you're going oh so just the the furniture or yeah. the bar or or the kind of the setup of things you think, oh, yeah 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 you know just like the yeah, it's curtains. like those 70s ones I keep seeing at the moment something online about they've always got pine it's like there's this very particular kind of pine, uh, very cramped, you know, probably quite a new build somewhere with it's just very boxy in a way that I, I well, it's pre IKEA and pre habitat. Yes. So no one, you know, no one was sort of trying to present their house in a way that would look, you know, glamorous in any way. It was just it was just a house, you know, um that sort of stuff, you know. That, that's why the look, get the look, as a phrase keeps coming to me because it feels well, like... Well, apparently, I did see today that the shag pile carpet is coming back in style <laughs> because there's a, a new film on Priscilla Presley and apparently people are quite liking the style of this film. Oh, really? There you go. You could be the first person in Hebden Bridge with a shag, shag pile carpet. You know, and, and sort of, you know, those those kind of furniture that... that yeah, the modern kind of look, not the old sideboards or yeah, sideboards that people mm. bought from their grandparents, which were quite heavy furniture that yeah. filled the space. But yeah. you know, it was the the, the sort of modern jazzy sixties. Yeah, swinging it in the seventies as well with yeah, yeah, you know the glass top tables. Oh and yeah, yeah, swirling yeah. patterns, fondue drugs. sets. Fond, we got to have a fondue. Abigail's season. party. So. It is Abigail's mm-hmm. party, isn't it? <laughs> With Dennis Roussos. And uh, we loved it, didn't we? There you go, dear old Mike Lee. But look, well, thank you ever so much, Wendy. This has been amazing. And look, have a lovely, I hope the light is getting slightly bigger, um, more progressive as, as we pass the winter solstice. Yeah, there's, the, there's a hill opposite me. It just cuts another hour off the day, to be honest. It's like, it's yeah, just, it's well, not much. A dip in it. Yes. Anyway, look, thank you again and good luck on all for your March period, which is obviously. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, if you can come to London, it'd be great to see you. Yes. Well, I will check out those days, actually. I expect, um, I bet you know Anna Goodman, don't you? Is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she'll she'll probably be down there, won't she? I would have thought so. I'm trying to harass everyone. Yes. Well, absolutely. (laughs) She's um, she's definitely on the scene, isn't she? So, um, yeah. I've, I'm in touch with her, but I've never met her in person. That would be an amazing moment. 
Anyway, look, take care. And uh, yes, Cheers, thank look you. forward to um, more shows. Anyway, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, me, that dear listener, is um, obviously the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Wendy Houston for giving me the time for that. As I said, she's got various uh, little things happening. And also she's got a very good website, which has lots of information that you will find fascinating. If you want to contact me, David Easter, on this is the C86 show, just go to... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show and you will be able to find me lurking somewhere in the undergrowth, really, the, the weeds. Anyway, it's all there. Um, keep it positive and groovy. Otherwise, why did you bother? Um, and also, all these shows have been archived. Aren't you lucky? So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. True. Have a great week. Stay safe.